Ready Camera 1, Ready Camera 2, and action. Hey, listeners, and a special hey, hi, hello, bonjour. I was about to say au revoir, but that's not hello. A special hey, hola to everyone listening, especially y'all from the Patreon. A couple of quick Patreon shout-outs. Uh, y- Thank you for joining YC, Ayana, Kristen, La Rose, Erica, Amina, Ariana Jacobs, Kayla, Steph, Christina, Angela Price, and Delicia Young. And as you know, patrons, we do a monthly book giveaway. This month, we will be giving away the comic book that we read, Queen of Bad Dreams by Danny Lore. And that lucky patron is a drum roll, please. Katria Walker. Katria, we have sent you a private message. (laughs) Not one of those. We have sent you a message asking you for an address to send this book to. And remember, patrons, you could be next. Anybody could be a patron for just $1, $2, or 78 cents a month helps the Wallen family. Ben, you have not interrupted me. I am. I was waiting for it, but it never came. But it's not coming because we we talk. We we are vibing today. So let's get started with the show. Oh, hello. If you're watching the YouTube, Ben just uh, sat extra close to me. Mm-mm. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci under the Believe Podcast Network. It is indeed a podcast about black science fiction, black fantasy, and staying on the same page as a family. Me, Wiggles, Ben and Gucci. Today for episode 88, we'll be discussing the collection of short stories, The Memory Librarian, written by Janelle Monet, but co-authored by Eve L. Ewing, Danny Lore, Alea Don Johnson, sorry Alea, Johanka Delgado, and Sheree Renee Thomas. But before we jump into that, how are you doing, my love? It was great. It was great. I am great. What's it? It, um... Everything. It was great. It was great. It was great. I'm so happy. The world is so great. There's nothing wrong. Anything. Nothing. Nothing's Nothing's wrong in the world. Nothing's Nothing's wrong wrong. in the world. I'm very excited. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about um, filicide and how um, you're more likely to be killed within the first year of your life than any other time of your life. But other than that, I was just Ah. reflecting on that. And also, there's something called nano satiety is like being killed within the first 24 hours of your life so i've just been studying um why mothers kill their children so but it's been pretty good why do you kill the mood with things like that knowing that we have a six-week-old in the other room oh no not alone by the way not alone no (laughs) yeah she's just hanging out drinking tea with the dog (laughs) uh what else did i do oh i caught myself watching videos of dogs with babies that was that really brought up my mood yeah i got a lot of newborns in my current page wiggles is doing great everybody she's looking more alert she's thriving we're obsessed with her uh but yeah why was i researching yeah okay because you like to give me anxiety no no not at all i think all right so my mom has been here for the past month and she's leaving very very soon and I've just, I've just been reflecting on the amount of support that we've had and why, um, like uh, how struggle it, how, how much of a struggle it is to raise a child. And then if you don't have any support, 
um, you would someone who would usually not be violent may be violent towards an infant. And there are actually like um, infanticide laws that lessen the punishment in a lot of states if for mothers who kill babies just because it's it's more common because mm. like you're not thinking in your right mind and if you yeah. don't have like support i don't know that's I just a real mean, thing yeah and i i do not want to overlook the insane amount of support we've had like my mom was here it's on ridiculous. the back half of my pregnancy and then your mom has been here for the first few weeks of wiggles life so we are very very grateful to have this support because I'm about to be calling all my friends as yeah. soon as your mama leaves. Larger, I, I need some help. larger society like government doesn't support new mothers. And so, yeah, uh, agree. Yeah. So if you don't have that family structure, it's super difficult. Like yesterday, we were like, out, be a mom, bitch. Yeah. Be a mom. <laughs> we're actually, now we're going to force you to be a mother, but we won't give you any resources to take care of your yeah. child. Well, yesterday we took a yoga class together and it was just so wonderful. And I like held your hand in it and you didn't swipe <laughs> my hand away. Usually, no, you never swipe my hand away. I love how confident you are in a yoga class. And well, well, let me say this for those of you who don't know. We went to a yoga class that requires you to use weights. Well, not requires, but recommends you use weights. And it's a really sweaty workout. It's a hot yoga class. So it is pretty rigorous. And Ben was the only man in class, and he only does about 30 to 40% of the class. The rest of the time, he's just breathing and mostly sitting, um, and he doesn't really use his weights a lot. So I really admire, you know, most men try to get in there and overdo it, even if it's their first time. Like, I remember taking my brother to the first yoga class. He's like, I got this, I got this. He's like a gym rat, and he really struggled, but was still trying to do everything, and obviously was very sore the next day. But you're not like that at all. You're like, nope, I will sit here and drink my coffee while you bitches lift weights. And I, I'm, I'm confident, you know? I like I, that about you. I think I did more than 40% of the class. Like, I gave you lighter weights, you know, because I knew that you're, like, weak. And you still couldn't do those. And it was really inspiring to see someone just live in their truth and put the weights down it was great. Not, and you shouldn't be competing with anybody else in the room. How have you been doing? Do you feel uh, supported? I feel very supported. I, I'm doing this really cool thing in my life where I'm just <laughs> pumping milk every two to three hours. And it's super fun. Uh, so I can't really do anything that would require my attention longer than an hour. But it's actually really nice getting back into Hell's Kitchen. Well, really lots of, you've been watching lots of TV. I have been yeah. because you have to just sit there and pump and yeah. hand massage and everything like That's that, so, which is fine because we've been binging Stranger Things and the like. But I loved getting back into Hell's Kitchen. I was watching it with Wiggles yesterday and I was like doing this thing where I was sort of mis explaining the show. So I was like, well, Wiggles, it's the show where the Bloods and the Crips get together in the kitchen <laughs> because it's like well, they do the wear red, red team and, blue. and the blue team with these bandanas. And it was just fun to like, I was like, this is essentially what this is. These are two gangs that are cooking for their lives and getting yelled at by this super gang member that has like 14 Michelin stars. So I love it. And I sat there and ate ramen noodles <laughs> while watching people make, you know, like really fine, well, you know, lamb. I love it. There's some other cool, th risotto with truffle. Um, but yeah, 
Ben is really hyper-focused on this outline because obviously he wants to spend time with his mom. So we'll get right into why people love this show. Right. So please rate us on our podcast reviews. Go to Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Write really nice things about us. It's super helpful for people discovering our show. And so here's something that Cookie Caper wrote. Uh, Cookie! Cookie! Uh, Cookie wrote, love this show. Five stars. Love the Wallen family. And I love Amber and Ben's dynamic smiley face. I know. Our dynamic is the best. I was thinking, like, our dynamic is me being witty and walking off Amber, um, walking her off an edge all the time um always yeah. showing her the bright side of life and what like walking sort of, her off an edge like you're just con you're like a highly anxious comedian okay and so our dynamic is like i'm the stable one i provide the wit and i provide the comfort that you need to be funny and so i think people really appreciate that dynamic that we have going uh, so i think one. what do you think our dynamic i mean i thought i sort of hit the nail on the head Two heads. Okay. I once. think our dynamic is a blend of a lot of different mm. things. So so you you explained it like the, the straight man versus like the drama queen in comedy. But I also think I, I people appreciate just like there's I have I have sort of like a masculine energy. Yeah. You know, just very like demanding and mm-hmm. sexy, deep voiced. So I ah. think people can appreciate like oh my gosh, I'm a strong woman like that person. Like, you don't have to just be, like, effeminate all the time. I mean, I do, you know, cry a lot or whatever. But I think there are levels of, there are, like, some some gender play when it comes to our dynamic. Yeah. Which makes sense, because growing up, I really loved, like, very more effeminate men. Not effeminate, but just, like, fluid men. Yeah. Like I was really into like the Tyler, the creators, the Andre 3000s, mm-hmm. Prince. So it I, makes sense I think, that I ended up with a white nerd. I think that comparing <laughs> me to Prince is totally appropriate. <laughs> I, think, I think everybody, anybody listening to the show is just like, now, bitch, you reach it. But you know what else is really interesting? I just, I just noticed in the camera that we're both wearing Star Wars shirts. Yeah. You're wearing a obi one Kenobi shirt, and I'm wearing uh, the Mona Leia. And I, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be wearing Star Wars T-shirts and not, you know, jumpsuits to brunch, I, I, I literally would have been like, what? I've never seen Star Wars. Like, in what world would mm-hmm. I be wearing Star Wars merch? It's just like, my have the tables have turned. Um just just interesting to know. So you've, you've, you've had a big effect on me. I mean, and this podcast in general. So I think that's a part of our dynamic, too. You, you're very cunning. Speaking on uh, big effects, uh, you are trying to teach me how to dance. And how so, is that speaking of big effects? Well, you've had a big effect on me. Like, you know, oh. I would have never really taken the effort to, like, try to learn how to dance. Ever. Like, ever. Dancing like moving in my body. Like my mom was describing that my mom likes to dance and she was describing like trying to teach my dad. And my dad was like, this is weird. I don't, cause I don't know. I guess men are not, maybe men are not taught to be as comfortable in their like fluid body movements in the same way that women yeah. are. Cause uh, all middle school is like you gay. It's oh like, yeah. <laughs> not so much anymore. 
Uh, really? Yeah, that's sort of been... That, you're in middle like, school territory yeah, so sometimes. That, well, as a teacher, sorry. I didn't want to... No. It, if you're listening to this show, it's like, Ben, you hang out in middle schools, right? I, yeah. <laughs> that could mean many different things. Horrible thing. That's why I wanted to clarify. Yes, I hang out in middle all different kinds of middle schools. No, but uh, <laughs> actually kids are pretty good at policing each other now it's sort of like that's like that's homophobic like you can't you can't use the term gay um in that derogatory way like oh yeah they're on it what about Um, race relations as well not that those are mutually exclusive at all but i'm glad that we're reaching a front with homophobia and, and kids are like not tolerant of that it's interesting right because uh i think i yeah so no that's a no no we're not we're not (laughs) no we're not there yet i also teach um mostly like uh first and second generation african immigrants okay um like the black students from my school uh compared to like black students so blacks black students on the north side tend to be like first second generation in chicago first second generation um immigrants ghana Mm -hmm. nigeria Black students, Ethiopia, black students on the south side of Chicago tend to be um, blackish. Yeah. No. uh, So from the mixed with black and black. Right. The the uh, the great migration. Right. Yeah. Southern. (laughs) Southern black. Southern blacks. So there's there's this interesting. I don't I haven't really thought a whole lot about this. But I think we all saw Black Panther. There's some tensions there. There are, yeah, obviously, yes, <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's that. That's, yeah, there's some well, tensions. No, 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 like no, no, African American students. No, 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 no. Here's the interesting thing: is that the African students are trying to be like black um, students, and I think their parents are trying to like pull them away from that because they don't want them because to be like because pop culture. Lazy yeah, well, not only that, but I think pop that's culture. Pop culture right now. Um, is like black culture, right? And it always yeah. has been, but I think it's now being explicitly provided. Like right. there was a documentary released recently about country music. That's all mm-hmm. about. Have you have you heard about this documentary? No, I have not. Um, I'll have to look it up, but it's about uh, black country music. And so th- yes. there's this recognition that American culture is black culture. Right. Okay. Or black culture is American culture. And so culture. there's this tension of like where African-American kids are trying to um, sort of ingrain themselves with black culture. And there's that pulling away that their parents know, like stay Ghanaian, stay Nigerian. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. And I think those kids are going to be the writers, the researchers of this movement. And they're going to try to figure that out. So I'll let them do that. I'm just observing things that I notice. So, yeah. Well, so you were talking about your horrible dancing. Go ahead. Oh, my terrible dancing. Oh, yeah. So, you're trying to teach me how to dance. And so, you posted a video of me how to dance. And a lot of people had some. Um, what dance specifically were the you electric trying to learn slide? And why? Uh, so yet, a staple of cookout and wedding season. Angela Holland said that I've never seen someone kick that high doing the electric slide. <laughs> Uh, um, and then uh, Yesenia said looking amazing Amber Ben should just do the baddie bounce what's the b- I didn't know what the baddie bounce is I, I have to be honest I don't know what the baddie bounce is either. Maybe it's there's just so like, many I think I, I think know, like, Yesenia other... was trying to just make sure I wasn't like doing anything 
Maybe. I, I, I'm just truly not familiar. That might be a new line dance for me. I'm familiar with like, you know, lecture slide, Cupid shuffle, cha-cha slide, uh, what is it called? The biker shuffle, stuff like that. But I, I don't know the baddie bounce. Oh, yeah. I should probably explain what the patrons got a point is. So basically, we post questions or videos on the Patreon, and then our patrons provide feedback or answer the question. We discuss what they say. Um, yeah, you you zooming. That's all right. You you anxious. Susie, Susie said respectfully, Ben, this was so this was embarrassing. She said more than that. Don't, she did. Don't, don't make her. Just... But luckily for you, there's this thing called practice. Mm. <laughs> Dang, Susie. <laughs> if we don't see an improved version of your lecture slide that involves you actually taking those steps, and you mustn't touch the dance floor with a fingernail at this wedding. Out. Damn, Susie went in. It's She's... a two-step. You have to actually move, Ben. And then I'm dying. Keep. And then she said, you know, keep teaching, Amber. I believe in you both. How does that I, feel, baby? I don't think Susie believes in me, though. <laughs> Damn, Susie. <laughs> That's hilarious. I I love reading comments. It's like my favorite thing. We know. They're I, so funny. I mean, I think since the baby has come, people have been a lot kinder out there in these streets. But, you know, there's always somebody that's like, fuck your baby. I hate y'all. I follow y'all on everything, but I hate y'all. It's like, that's okay. You can hate watch, baby. Or or they'll like, they'll enjoy everything we do besides one video. And then maybe a video we make a joke that goes too far or maybe it's yeah. not appropriate. I think that's fair. I think you, there's no world where you should enjoy every single thing we put out. I would say 50% of the things that you put out, I dislike, you know, that would be correct. And you do not hold back in telling me that. And what, at what part are you just going to be my cheerleader? Just I pick a day. I will Any never, day. I can't just be your cheer, cheerleader. I can't just be your, your yes, man. I don't believe in that. I, I love you too much. Yes, but if you could just love me a little less, <laughs> I, I need the confidence sometimes. I think you want the fake love a little bit more. What's wrong with fake love? It's not lasting. It doesn't help you grow. Sometimes real People, love don't be lasting either. That That is also true. So what's what would be fake love? Fake you, what, love? What would be you showing me fake love? Fake love is like, oh, that video you made was really funny or that what you're wearing is really great when it's obviously not or like that food you made was really good like my mom made it my mom is an incredible cook she's been making incredible things mm -hmm. and she made one thing that was just terrible and amber and i could have both said it was good but it was we just were upfront and honest and and she we knew it was bad i was like judy now nah, nah, i love you now <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and this ain't good so so you led and with, i love you now that it was what <laughs> What was it, Ben? It was mac and cheese. It was macaroni and cheese. So it's just a curse. <laughs> <laughs> your, your family, your side of the family is cursed. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> that shit was bad. I knew something was up when I saw her cutting them onions. And I was like, nah. Now I'm not a smart man. But I know. I know mac and cheese don't be having all them damn onions in it. And that's okay. She, she, put, a, she, she put a foot of breadcrumbs like a layer of breadcrumbs <laughs> was like breadcrumb layer and then but your you mac and that. cheese but you do that too i you? i pepper it with paprika breadcrumbs i pe it's like the a panko, panko. Pan panko. I, I can't See, even you, panko. I, I pepper i pepper with, <laughs> i pepper with paprika breadcrumbs <laughs> because peter piper picked a pack of pickled peppers they're all bad 
All right, man. What did we read? Because let's let's get into the let's uh, let's okay. be honest. Let's be So we read here. the Memory Librarian, and the premise of it is in a world where the oppressive New Dawn um, government erases and collects the memories of dirty computers, aka humans that are too creative or too queer. Um, in this world, rebellions have begun to pop up, and. Uh, each of these stories is about different groups of people rebelling against the new dawn, um, this oppressive, anti-queer, anti-creative group. And that premise is pretty great, and it's also building off of Janelle Monae's Dirty Computer album. and Which we watched in Which we watched. We watched entirety. We also watched Metropolis, which is what uh, Janelle Monae is taking a lot from. Uh, we also watched Blade Runner, which she's also taking a lot from. So we did our research here. You don't have to watch any of those things to enjoy the book. Uh, but th- there was... <laughs> Stop trading lightly. There wasn't what are you actually trying to say, A man? lot to enjoy. <laughs> and I wanted this book to be so good. Too. You know what it was like? It was like watching your sibling go to rehearsals, go to, you know, advertising the show on social media, and then you go to the show and you're like, ah, that's bad. And it doesn't mean that your cousin isn't talented or your sibling or whatever, but ben, Ben's been to a show of mine that's been horrible. I, I saw it like three times. Uh, you saw a horrible show of mine three times? The yeah. same one. The same horrible show. It didn't get better. But that doesn't mean I'm not funny. I that did, doesn't mean I'm not talented. I did laugh. The show was bad. I did laugh a lot. Um, there were some really, really funny moments. And in this book, there is a short story in this book mm-hmm. uh, that is amazing. That it's saves it's it. incredible. Yeah. Um, and so we'll talk about that. But let's just like go through each one and we'll discuss it uh, and we'll try to be as positive as possible. Why Why are you holding back? Because... You, be honest. Because, why are you holding all right, back? The people the book who was a worked, dud. Like, that's, that just well, is reality. Because the people... Yeah. Yeah. But the people who worked on this book are people that um, we like and we've had connections with through Correct. social media. And so... And people I will probably meet in person. So... But you know what you're doing? You're showing them fake love. That is... <laughs> fair enough. Are, all right. Are you not... Well, okay, so the the big problems with this book is that there was not enough exposition. Like this book has been What's compared mean? exposition means explanation of ah. the world, right? Like there you you learn about this nebulous government organization called New Dawn. Yeah. But you're not really sure like the inner workings of New Dawn. Not you at know all. that the first story is called The Memory Librarian and like the the librarians. Well, there's an introduction the, to that that made zero yeah, sense. Yeah. I was trying to breastfeed Wiggles and read it, and I was like, Ben, this makes no sense. I've reread it three times. I don't understand what they're talking about, and and Ben was reading ahead of me because we were sharing the same text. So I was, he was like, just move ahead, just move ahead. And then I'd still be like, if the intro doesn't make sense, like I am not confident in what's coming. Okay, to that point... So cyber, this is labeled as cyberpunk and Afrofuturism. Cyberpunk is known for techno babble, and it's also like a person personal thing. Like a lot of people, a lot of science fiction lovers don't like cyberpunk because you're thrown with all these new words. And there are some things like wordplay here where librarians and authors, terms that me and you sort of associate as like 
the greatest people on earth, those people in this world who work for New Dawn are evil. Like librarians take people's memories and erase them. And so the first story is about a memory librarian, Seshit, who like holds people's memories who need their memories erased. And authors come in and like author new memories, essentially. And so I think that idea was interesting, but yeah. this, there was so much. Like I didn't really understand Seshit beyond the fact that she was a memory librarian. And there was a woman, right. Alethea, who we, there's a big twist sort of near the end of the book of who Alethea is, but I it didn't really mean anything. It didn't hit because, it didn't hit because we didn't know who Alethea developed it. Yeah. Or it would just be random I, I think directionless is the best way to describe the first the, the first big story for me, the memory librarian. And I, at one point it was like Alethea is a trans woman. We were like Great. But that how, was really the only what, thing I could say. Yeah, it's about like, her. what are the implications of that? Like, how is that going to, what experiences are going to be present based on that information that you just gave us? And it's like nothing. It's, it's you know, what Nisi Shaw said about the Bridgerton thing. It's like, if you're just going to airbrush and paint, you know, white people black and not have any part of a black experience in here. You kind of just wasted that. So it's like, and guess what? Alethea is a trans woman. Check. It's like, okay, so are we going to see some scenes or some flashbacks or maybe the memory here is really at play because like maybe who she was in a former life that's a race now or not. We, we didn't get any of that. There's, it was just like, she's it's, trans wink. We did our job by including diversity. And it's like, no, you didn't. Yeah, and so that's where exposition would come in, where you explain a little bit of how, of how New Dawn has dealt specifically with trans people. Right. And so Ted Chang is brilliant at exposition. I only bring up Ted Chang because... Who's Ted? Ted Chang is a really well-known science fiction author Great. who writes extensively, just, just does explanation. I, You know, I, I had you read that story about the technology where you can call back memories. Remember that one? And like mm -hmm. the introduction the introduction of new technology. And so I think this could have used more like solid world building. Like here's the world, here's what it looks like. Instead, there was a lot of nebulous language and language that was used that, se that seemed like the authors really knew what they were doing and not anybody else or for the longest time i was like ben what is a dirty computer like we i watched the visual album and they're referencing dirty computers a lot in here but i'm still not understanding that dirty computers like until you just broke it down right here that they're humans that are too creative and too queer i didn't really pick that up in the in the story that much, especially in a world where there were like tons of droids. It's and mentioned briefly. It's mentioned super briefly. It's like, well, these, these people are memory hoarders and dirty computers. It's like, what does that mean? Did they break the law? Are they pariahs? Are they heroes? Are they villains? I, I, I don't know what this means in the context of the story. So yeah, you said the exposition needed some work. Yeah. If you were reading like super, super closely and like trying to underline, you know, every little thing, uh, you, you might be able to pick up on it. I guess the there is an interesting question in the first story that I wanted to talk to you about, which is essentially Seshit. Um, there's like some convoluted plot idea, but Seshit is... Ooh, contrived. I, yes. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand it. And I don't know 
it could be, did we not understand it? Or was this just not clear? And the thing is, I read enough science fiction to probably, I'm going to say it just wasn't clear. It wasn't clear. It and wasn't we got to be honest about that. That doesn't mean Janelle Monet isn't a powerhouse at all. But This is her first book, too. <sighs> yeah, but... <sighs> <laughs> Should be the last. It's just <laughs> no, like it stay, it's, I think it's just kind of like stay in your lane. Like we love so, you for being like this powerhouse queer icon icon musician. Like we don't also need a book. It's kind of like when Beyonce does some acting. It's like, all right, I well we're gonna go see it, but this is not an, an Oscar nom. I completely like, disagree. I think okay, the ideas in here are fantastic. I think the idea of a memory librarian. Um, very similar to someone like a sin eater, like in certain indigenous cultures, someone who like collects sin and eats it and holds on to it. I think the memory librarian idea is awesome, but it just wasn't presented well enough. It does um, explore this idea. So what do you disagree with here? Because I, that that the, someone should stop writing just because their first book is not a hit. Well, that was a joke, but also what's wrong with working in your wheelhouse if you're so talented in one area? Like what's wrong with saying like, I make really good music that is Afrofuturistic. I don't need to write a book. Like you're, you're doing enough. Like another album would have been just as powerful because that's how... That's her best way of, I think, communicating with people. So if you read the acknowledgments like I did. Oh, God. Uh, she, I mean, she's a big science fiction fan, right? Right. And so science fiction is mostly um, presented and propagated through the written form. And as a science fiction fan, any science fiction fan who loves this genre is going to try to write a story. And her ideas, the things, I mean, she is a writer, she's written songs, and she wanted to expand that in more clear narrative form. Because Dirty Computer, it's songs. It, the narrative is a little sticky. And so she is attempting to create more of a narrative form. And she got some of the most, like, the most powerhouse um, writers and comics and also in editing. Sheree Renee Thomas is, you know, a supreme editor, has won multiple awards uh, to help her write things. Well, that's why it was also disappointing because it was like, you knew you couldn't do this alone because it might've been your first one. So you wanted to work with other like women of color in the genre who were killing it. So when those stories flopped or didn't make as much sense, I was like, God damn it. Like y'all co-signed this. This isn't really making sense. Or, or it felt like, you know, this is what we would call an anthology series, right? Like they're all still kind of connected. Or a short story collection. A short story collection. Or like a, probably more like a short story cycle. Collection could be stories together that don't relate to each other. This is more of a cycle where yeah. they cycle through, you know. So for example, librarians are mentioned again. There's a drug called Nevermind that makes you forget uh, so that keeps on that. And that was also in the dirty computer. Right. Like, never mind. Um, so there are certain ideas in here that show show up again throughout the, the right. cycle. Right. But it's there's something about it that still felt like all of these were written in their own silos and then, like, put together. And there, there were buzzwords that were referenced again, mm -hmm. like NDRs and New Dawn and stuff like that. But 
ultimately it, it felt disjointed to me. There, now, I'm not going to drag all of the stories. I just, for me, the memory librarian, which was the first story, was so long and it, it felt like so many pages were wasted and it just felt unintentional in so many ways that it kind of just sucked the air out of the room as you continue to read because so so by the time you did get to time box which was a really good story you're like damn why didn't you kick us off with this one like why was the first performance of this book like such low energy like it you know I, i'll be honest I, at one point i was like Ben, I don't want to read this book. Like, I don't, like, my time is so precious right now between, like, breastfeeding and making amazing content with you that I was like, I'm going to commit to reading it because we said we would for the podcast, but if I bought this book and wasn't committed, I would put it down. Yeah. And this is where I would put it down. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you pushed me to, like, be like, go to this next, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and you're really good about finishing books. I have about a million half-finished books because I'm just the the... I'm of the mind that like life is too short to just keep powering through a book I'm not enjoying. Like there are so many incredible books out there that I really enjoy that I want to get to read. So this book for me kind of felt like if we weren't creating something around this, like I would not have finished it. I'm just going to be honest. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds like an ending note. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the, that's the first story. There are five of them. Damn. So we spent. I'm sorry, Ben. Keep going about the other one. Uh, all right. So the second story is Nevermind. And Nevermind, I'm going to not really talk about the plot, but here are the characters <laughs> in Nevermind. I love that it's called Nevermind. You're like, and I'm not talking So never here, the here are the characters. It's a short story. And there's Near, Jane, Zen, Bat, Rhapsody, Nomi, Pell, Guy, Shay. And there are so many characters without enough characterization that it was difficult for me to determine like the difference between the characters at times. Like I didn't know who was who. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I did like the idea in there here where New Dawn, the government organization, sends these people out called blush hounds. And they're able to like sniff out people's emotions. And if you feel too much emotion, the blush hound sort of like loses their mind. Great concept. Um, yeah. No follow through. It was it, it was sort of used pretty well, but Nevermind asks uh, the essential question, like, to what extent do queer communities accept others? To what level, basically, to what level of queerness do you need to have to be accepted is a question that Nevermind asks, which is, I think, a super important question. Um, I think they could have done more with it, but... But you had to, like, pull that out and extrapolate that. Like... Yeah, not really. I think it's pretty clear. Um, essentially there's a blush hound who tries to get into the called, um, I think, uh, bat trying to get into this queer community called the pink hotel, which was cool. But then Rhapsody doesn't want bat in there and near sort of acts as a, they, a, a gender queer, um, character near try to, tries to act as this mediator. It was interesting. Um, there's like this big betrayal twist that I didn't know enough about the villain to really care it was hard to care. Um, anyway, to what extent do you accept people into a community? Fencing, they call it psychological fencing, when you fence someone in who might not usually be in your community. Like gatekeeping. Nope. Gatekeeping is the idea of where a single individual allows someone to enter into a community. Fencing is when you individually fence someone inside, right? Like you're so that. You, so, so you're you not accepting, you're not pulling them in you're like oh 
you you're not going to change who you are, but I'll fence you in because maybe you're an ally or maybe you're this or that. I think there's there are two different concepts. Fencing and gatekeeping are separate. I'm not under- Give me the example with actual identity. All right, so like uh, black students might do this with a white teacher. They'll f- they'll, they'll they'll say, "Oh, you're fine. You're fine." But everybody else, yeah. Fine. So they're not gatekeeping. They're not saying come to the cookout. They're just saying like we're going to talk about black ideas and black, and we're going to talk about this struggle we have with other white teachers because we fenced you in. And so yeah. when we say white teachers, we don't mean you. Where gatekeeping might be something along the lines of this story, where we have a queer community and um, you are genderqueer, and so you go by they them pronouns. But we're not, we don't really want you in this community. Or maybe you're a trans person, and we don't want you within the woman community. Gotcha. So I that, that. that's more of gatekeeping. <clears throat> Thank you for breaking that down again. I think that fencing can be very dangerous because. The person that you fence in can easily get comfortable and forget, you know, like I, I think to the outside looking in, I have fenced you in, right? Like mm. I've I've woke I'm like, when I'm talking about white people, I don't mean Ben, like which one day could be very dangerous. Well and sometimes then, you are. I'm what? When you talk about white people, sometimes I'm not you, talking about you. Sometimes you include me. When white people are this way. Right. Yeah, sometimes I'll be like, why do y'all do that? Or <laughs> the other day, the bank, that guy was just talking to me. I was like, Ben, why is he talking to me? Why do y'all do that? He's like, I was just, uh, uh, I was like, and, and I'm not trying to talk, say that he wasn't being friendly or something, but there was very something instinctively white about this person and what he was saying to me that was just so unnecessary. And I was like, Ben, get your brother. Um, but I, I think fencing can be dangerous because I know those teachers that get fenced in and then one day they do something or say something. I'm just like, huh? Like, why Why do you feel like we're not talking about you? Like, you're you're a part of the problem too. And they're like, nah, because I call Tyshawn every night. And it's just like, what? No, you're, you're an issue as well. So it, it can be, there's a level of like, apology that happens there because you're apologizing for feeling that way about white people, but you don't want to offend that person. And you've, you know, you're prioritizing their comfort. Fencing sort of can inherently do that. I don't think it's bad, but it's just kind of like, we're thinking of you first. Yeah. So it's interesting because this story deals both with gatekeeping and fencing because it's about, a queer character coming into a woman-led um, community, and one of the women in there is not comfortable with this gender queer person in their community. For sure, right? And sort of, we have these conversations even now, right, with turfs um, <laughs> yeah. and you know trans exclusionary <laughs> radical feminists. For those who don't know, and we and we got one major player of that right now. Not there's not there's just one, but. There's like a figurehead of it, low-key. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, but so sort of that's the conversation we're, um, we're seeing right now. And I think this story sort of mimics that narrative, what's going on. Um, where what you're talking about fencing, especially especially with white teachers, I see this at, in my experience and what I've read the most of. Um, white teachers will get fenced in by their black students mm-hmm. and 
um, associate that fencing or extend that fence into other areas of black communities where they haven't been fenced in. So for example, like you've been fenced in by the black students in your classroom, but that doesn't mean that you go to a black church and black people at that church will automatically accept you. In fact, they'll probably reject you if you bring up the fact that you teach um, black students and you sort of give hints that you've been fenced by other black people. Yeah, because that that's the danger I'm talking about. It's like the I can't be this. I have black friends. It's like, girl, we don't give a fuck. Like you just did something that was not okay. Like this is a microaggression. We are addressing this individual single event now and then you because some other random person fenced you or probably didn't even fence you you probably thought they did you know yeah it's it's like remember in driving miss daisy where she's like you're my best friend and you're and we're kind of looking at him like but that's not your best yeah friend. that's yeah a, like or I, lo- I just love that line in severance of the apple tv show where he's mm-hmm. like i'm your best friend you're my very good friend <laughs> right there's a difference yep anyway uh, let's talk about the best story in the collection, yes. Timebox. Correct. Uh, Timebox essentially is about this couple, Akila and Raven, and inside their apartment, they discover a room that once you're in this room, it freezes time. Yes. And so Oof. it becomes about like, what do you do with that? And one of the big questions that Akila and Raven have are like, do we use this room as like personal wealth where we go in there to read a book or we go in there to finish homework or do we provide this room for community Community. organizers Mm -hmm. to come in and so there's this whole tension between community wealth and personal wealth which is something that janelle monet would obviously struggle with as like a very well-known musician at the face of target the face of pepsi uh making lots of money but also being um, you know, coming from like a lower um, middle class family in Kansas City, like, you know, and sort of that, I think this had the most potential. And yeah. it was just a, it starts with a really solid idea, which is what science fiction does. It It's a, it's an idea playground and it just goes from there. And it's so good. There's like a whole line about like time being currency. So um, my question for you is if you had a room, if we had a room in this house that froze time, what would you do in that room? Before I answer that question, I want to say that this story definitely felt very black because it is the plight of every black person to be like, well, should I think about myself or should I think Mm, about the community at large? Like, so those are some things, you know, and I, I, I don't, I, I just feel like that is not something you take with you daily. Like when you're doing things, you're like, this is what Ben needs. This is what Ben wants. And sometimes when I'm doing things, I'm like, should I take this deal? Has this corporation been vocal about how they don't, how they believe in the value of black lives? Like, let me consider all of these factors. And so I think I, as much as I would want to say, I think if we had a room in our house that froze time, as much as I would want to say, I would say like, Let's save that for our family and our whatever. I, you know I wouldn't do that. You know I would be like, let me see if I can send out Google Calendar as, and organize yep. a schedule Which where is people exactly, can yep. come into this room. You know I would do that. And even though in this story, even though in this story I felt frustrated when Akila brought that up, I was like, I would do the same shit. Maybe I wouldn't invite hordes of people into the house, but I would definitely be like, girl, come over here and take a nap. I'll watch your kid like come over here and do this we can like while that time is being for like get some time back for yourself 
Like, there's no yeah. way I just couldn't do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, so- sometimes these communities, I mean, these communities, like, they're so separate from me. Like, community is important. Like, even now, raising wiggles, we've had nothing but help since day one. Community is very valuable, but I think there is a level of, like, sometimes I do overshare for the sake of the community without thinking about our direct family unit. Do you think you would have been Raven wanting it off to yourself or Akila sharing it with the collective? Mm, I don't know. It'd be so scary to have that kind of power to freeze time to do what you needed because I would be, I would probably keep it private because I would know that it would get out and someone, you know, government, uh, you know, someone would find out about it and it would be immediately taken like really powerful resources and if they're if the resource is too powerful, will be taken from you or be regulated in some way, um, unless unless you get too powerful and then you can sort of manipulate government organizations to sort of do the things that you want to do. And we're seeing this tension right now with Florida and Disney, where Disney tra- traditionally has sort of mil- manipulated Florida governors and Florida politicians to do what they want to do, right? You know to make sure laws are passed so Disney doesn't have to pay out to workers for, you know, uh, parental leave or, you know, provide, um, you know, accommodations for their workers. Uh, But now because Florida and um, Florida politicians and Disney are sort of falling apart when it comes to the don't say gay bill, um, Florida governors are responding back with Disney. It's just, it's an interesting question, right? Like if you or a business has too much power, government officials will try to come and take it. So because of that, I would probably say I would keep it private. I would keep it known to like a select few people. I would not. Of course. I don't This was such a good story. I hate that because going back to the show analogy, it, it was like, like going to a bad show and then seeing a powerful number and you're like why didn't y'all kick off the show with this even though sort of maybe in this universe or whatever that might not have made sense chronologically but we needed a wake up at the beginning of the story and I just I really appreciate the story because it made me think a lot about how time is currency like you were saying earlier like we really don't think about it like that sometimes but time is more valuable than money sometimes for me like it it is because you need time to make money you need time to just do everything i mean especially now like we just had to pause the podcast because wiggles's feeding schedule just went off and it's just like if only i had more time and i i know there's this sort of tendency sometimes to say um (laughs) sometimes when i'm not getting things done people used to be like or i probably said this too is like Beyonce has the same amount of time in a day that you do. Like Beyonce has the same 24 hours that you do like make it happen. And it's like, that's just not true. Like Beyonce has a team of people to, to hire and get this back. And you know, we, we are big Beyonce fans around here, but if, if only I had more time, like if somebody asked me like, would you want more time in a day or would you want more money? I would, I would choose the time because it's, it's just so important, especially now that she's so little, but anyway, I'm rambling. You want to talk about maybe one more story? Because we do have to feed her. Yeah. Well, what you said, this idea that people will say, oh, you know, um, Beyonce has the same 24 hours. That's completely false. And literally, there's a whole 
like short um, expo- exposition about that very topic and in time box. It's like the best story. I would say getting the book and reading that story is worth it. Um, the next story, Save Changes, is also really good. Mm-hmm. Again, it starts with this idea of um, this family, uh, Diana Mello, who has been this powerhouse rebel against the New Dawn, but then she's had her complete memory erased. And so now her two daughters, Amber and Larry, have to care for her. And it sort of builds from there. And it turns out that their father, Pablo, has this special like time machine called a Lar- Larimar that yeah. takes you back to an undisclosed time. And sort of they, Amber and Larry, have to decide like when they use this special machine to go back in time to like fight back the new dawn. And then there's a party. And there are like side characters, but I knew who they were. Like yes. a, there was a side character named Mohammed, who is actually someone who fixes things. And um, I I could understand like these quick characters. So this story was was pretty fantastic. Yeah. Like quick, meet somebody at a party. They give you some drugs, aka never mind. Ne- let's move on. Like not just like tons of characters. The other thing this story pointed out was like hyper surveillance. And I was talking mm-hmm. to someone. Uh, recently and they were like pretty soon we're gonna have algorithms that will just predict your day-to-day schedule and that this story hints at that that these like robots are like hey if you if you deviate from your typical behavior patterns it sends a red flag which i thought was like super scary and where we have that technology now will be very soon where google maps will be able to like suggest suggest your your location or where you'll be in a week a month from now based on like all the data it's collecting from you which is who and then we get to that point too because any day you want to sort of veer from the plan i'm like wait we're supposed to do this yeah we always go here you sometimes you almost make google calendar like you're like if it's not in google calendar it's not happening which is sort of in a very science fictional phrasing like 10 years ago this idea that your calendar would control you because you're you're It's yeah. not that. It's just like I wanna I want to make a commitment to this thing and I look at my Google calendar as like I'm committing to this versus or I, I want to make time in my schedule for this. There's because time is currency, right? So it's like I want to spend on this. So I'm marking this down because this is very important to me. So there's a level of that. Whereas, you know, if you're just like, Hey, why don't we just maybe go on a walk today? I'm like are we going or not? Because I want to sort of map out my day. But if you said like, Amber, we are going for a walk at five o'clock. I'm going to Google calendar you this. This is an important chunk of time I want to carve out for you. I would get my ass up. Do you think that people's relationship with calendars is like more exact now that it's all digital instead of like a handwritten calendar, like an organizer? What, ask the question again. Like, do you think people are more likely to hold on to their Google Calendar than they would with their planner? As far as, like, level of importance? Yeah, level of, or just, like, mm, deviation. I, no, but I think there is a level of, like, a Google Calendar is a living, breathing thing. Like, it's, yeah. it's when the when the event is coming close, it's going to ping up and it's remind gonna... you. Maybe two weeks from now, it'll say, like, hey you haven't picked up the compost lately. Like this was in it 
of last month like it's not on this month it it reminds you when anniversaries when mm. weddings whereas like if i lost my planner in the shuffle of our house it wouldn't say like hey you got this coming also planners had smaller things to write and i remember having planners that only were like monday through friday yes remember that but you're now it's like saturday and sunday you can plan those days and it's from 12 a.m to 12 a.m uh the last story is interesting it sort of deals with you can walk through a a you know it was fun like you could walk through this arc thing and you could see the potential future of like a utopia but whenever you have utopia like i'm more interested on, on like how you got there instead of oh I'm more interested on how you got there in the utopia. So this doesn't really look at questions of utopia. It's sort of just like, here's the world and it's perfect. And you need an artist and an engineer to do it. I don't know. It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I I, want to, I don't know, retract my other statement. I, I do. I, I think Janelle Monae should keep writing, but I definitely think that, it's it's difficult for me because I don't know how invested I would have been in this if Dirty Computer wasn't made or or I, I'm I'm very grateful for the visuals I had with that album as I was reading this book side by side but I don't know it just it just didn't land for me and that doesn't mean she's not talented and that doesn't mean she shouldn't keep writing but I think there was a lot of buzz around this book as far as like social media and announcements and advertising and photo shoots that it, it just kind of came down to no substance in some areas. There was uh, in Nevermind, the story Nevermind, mm-hmm. where fashion sort of becomes a big part of like rebelling, but they didn't really bring that up again. Ooh. And yeah. Can I say one more thing um, before we close out? Another thing that was really bummed me out was, so obviously I love reading with the audiobook. We're super busy right now. Everybody should read audiobooks. It's also reading. Janelle Monet read some of the stories from the audiobook, which, ugh, as a, as a voice actor, you just know the difference between sometimes when the, the author is reading something versus like a classically yep. trained, you know, or voice not, not class i mean you're not classically trained but just a trained, a trained voice. Voice. Someone, sorry. someone who's practiced sorry i'm not classically damn damn well what, what is classically trained voice over a even trained I, it just sounded good oh, like okay. my god <laughs> this bitch is in distress um you could just tell what janelle monet reading it was so it was just very monotone it was dull all none of the characters had god. None of the characters had different voices. Like, that's, like, the number one rule of doing voices. Like, literally make one character, you know, your aunt and one character your ex. And and go back and forth between those two voices. And each character in those memory library stories had, like, at one point, I just stopped doing the audiobook. I was like, I'm going to read this myself. <laughs> which, that's ama- that's which is an- that's saying amazing. something for me. But then in some of the other stories that I really enjoyed, it was because voiceover actors read those so they have no attachment they don't know these characters so they're like oh here's where i heighten here's where the big moment happens here's where the lull of the story is and so they they made that work so the only i I really now some authors reading their books work like i hear mariah carey does a really good job of her book any book that tony morrison has written and then she reads it she does a great job with voices but 
sometimes it's when it's just the author and they're not trained it's like no you can't just read it how you wrote it like give me or those coached, characters maybe not coached. coached whatever so along with the actual written book the audio book doesn't save you either i just wanted to make a note Damn. of that and with that being said ben i gotta feed my baby so why don't we warp up the show all right in conclusion uh the memory librarian has two great stories time box and save changes uh you should go read the authors who co-authored in this book. Everything they write is really good. Uh, and that's it. I, we will definitely there. be giving away this book <laughs> to a patron. And we'll we'll make a little note of the book that says, good luck. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Sci-Fi Side Podcast. Up next, we will be discussing the 2019 film, Little directed by tina gordon starring Issa ray and marseille martin so we will see y'all next week go watch little we love y'all we're gonna go feed our little one bye y'all bye. thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.